listening to the OKest Fisher Podcast, part of the OKest Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Strine and Greg Tubbs. Welcome back to the OKest Fisher Podcast with your host, Greg, and I got Matt with me. How's it going, Matt? It's going. Been out fishing lately? Did a little bit of fishing over Christmas break, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk some pan fishing today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Today's guest is Jackson Baumgart from Jackson Baumgart Outdoors and Driftless Spins. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you. You bet. So we just talked about fishing for pike and walleye early season with uh, with tip-ups, you know, early on. Um, in, in last week's episode to this this week we're actually going to talk more about pan fishing in kind of a cool place that i don't have any experience fishing and i'm not sure matt if you've ever been there but nope we're talking pan fishing on the mississippi river jackson what can you tell us about it oh it's it's something special um see i grew up in northern wisconsin also so so this is in a way new to me ever since I went to school at UW-Lacrosse and just fell in love with the area. And the the quality and size of those panfish on the Mississippi River backwaters um, and just dissecting a bigger body of water to locate those hot bites, it's it's something that I've really come to appreciate. And um, my, dad, my dad, too, tends to make a lot of trips down to lacrosse to experience those types of bites. So it's been, it's been pretty special. Um, and I'm happy to share some tips with, with people listening today uh, so they can experience some of that too. Great. Well, let's start off with just dissecting the body of water. I mean, obviously, December, we'll say December, mid-December is probably when things start to get good, depending on the weather, of course. But mid to late December is the time frame when ice really starts to form up real good and become somewhat safe to navigate out there, isn't it? Yep. Um, and obviously you're limited in, in where you can go early ice. Um, essentially the, the spots that freeze up first, whether they're the best spots or not, that's where you're going to, to naturally be out fishing. Right. Depending um, on how diehard and how bad you want to be there. <laughs> exactly. And there's the, there's, there's obviously the safety aspect too. Like, um, you gotta, you have to be smart, especially when you're fishing a river system because of the current aspect. It's not, it's not slack water. It's not all still water. It might seem safe in one spot, but you never know where that little bit of current is coming through. So um, taking the precautions, using a spud bar, uh, keeping the ice picks on hand, there that's important. Um, luckily, I've a lot of the early ice spots are very shallow too, um, which is a little bit peace of mind. Like the last perch bite I got on, which I was just hammering them, I was fishing like four feet of water. Okay. Um, and it was a sandy bottom uh, with some with some vegetation there. So that's it's one of those things. There was plenty of ice, but I do feel a little more comfortable venturing out into that because the reality is, if I if I do happen to break through, I'm able to touch touch bottom in that in that area. So, so is that four foot of water? Is that what you're primarily looking for for a good it, perch bite? It or? varies. It varies a lot. Uh, it really does. It's probably not so much about depth as it is, um, as it is the the type of vegetation. The, those perch like to find kind of gaps in the weeds, 
Um, and for, I've caught them as shallow as a foot of water. I mean, I've experienced a bite where you would you drill your hole, and if you punch down too far, you're going to put your auger in the sand. And believe it or not, if you let that area, after you drill those holes and you let that area kind of calm down, they'll come back through there. And as long as there's those gaps in the weeds for, for them to ambush, perch really like that. Uh, using an underwater camera, I might, I don't, I need to invest myself in one. I need to get an underwater camera. I don't own one either. So that's part of being okay at fishing is I don't have all the tools and toys. That's it's baby steps, I suppose, but that can really help to find where the pockets in the weeds are because these perch are just swimming throughout these weeds. And if you drill a hole and don't, and you happen to set your tip down or you're jigging there and there's a bunch of vegetation right there, the visibility for a perch to see your jig is, is very, is very minuscule. Um, and you might not catch fish there. Whereas if you go four feet to the right and there's a nice opening in this big patch of vegetation, all of a sudden now perch are swimming through those weeds and your jig is right out in the open where they can see it in those ambush spots. Um, I, I know some buddies that spend some time in the fall in, in the boat actually, and they'll go out in open water to kind of do some scouting for ice and figure out where these patches of weeds are. And with Onyx and Navionix, and I actually recently just got the, uh, the, the Helix seven. Nice. Um, and that's something that I can have this unit on my boat mark places. And then I converted this to an ice unit, um, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. This is the first year using it. I, I made a YouTube video actually how I did that conversion from the boat to to converting that to ice and that's one of those tips that's that's going to help me i think really key in on those specific patches in the weeds to find find good perch bites i actually just upgraded to the helix five two years ago and night and day difference i can spot on a spot during the summer and know it's going to be good for ice fishing and all i do is clip it back into your your uh you know your go bag and you're good to go it puts you right on the spot now do you use the um do you have the Lake Master chip thing? I do. I have the Lake okay. Master for I think it's just Wisconsin or the Upper Midwest or whatever chip that is. And it's see, and I haven't. I just have the default setting on there. But I've heard that that Lake Master chip gives you a much more specific contours and is pretty Co- convenient. So cor- correct. It does to a point. Um, smaller lakes up north or less populated lakes. They don't get out there as often to do the marks on. But I believe on some of the newer ones, there's settings where you can troll with your boat and it makes the live map too that's, um, that's true i have heard that something else to help out with yeah i'll have to take notes on that because i also ended up with a, a helix it's a, it's a gen 2 so it's an older one um but i ended up getting it for my uncle because he doesn't fish much so i did a little side work for him and he he uh paid me with that so i'll have to get one of yeah. those chips to put into it because in the default settings, it, like you said, it really doesn't give you a whole lot. No, not some of like the the chip that I have. We fish Fox Lake a lot, and that has like one foot contours with known weed lines and raises, and okay. actually does a satellite image of the shore, so you can relate real well to where you are on the lake too. Um, you sure you're on the like right it's... podcast? <laughs> I'm still learning how to use it. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I should say though, like in, in today's age with all the technology and fishing, like it's not, it doesn't help. Yes. But uh, I don't want people to think that it's needed. Like I, 
up until last year, I had the Hummingbird 35 Flash, like the basic Hummingbird, and I had an last year was the first year I got a power auger. Okay. So like so for 4 years the well 5 years fish figuring out the Mississippi area, I was serious I had a hand auger and I had the most basic electronics you can get and and there's something to be said about just the simplicity of that like figure finding fish how did i find fish i drilled holes and i fished and if i didn't catch any i i moved and and i experienced some pretty and in a way those were a little bit more rewarding you know with live scope and everything now it's it's cool don't get me wrong but there's something to to just doing it the old school way too and it's possible to do that so i don't want people to think that if you don't have this hundred dollar technology and all these gadgets that you can't go out and experience a good bite because it's still possible so yeah a little more effort and just getting to know the area like you said you do a little bit of scouting on it maybe even open water scouting and try to drop some waypoints i mean the phone the phone is a huge piece of technology and i don't think people we know people aren't using that to its full potential either but like i've got the navionics app on it and i've got more spots on there than i do actually my fish locator so 100%. 100%. Even Google Maps. You can go on Google Maps, look at satellite image, and you can see where the kind of weed edges are. Um, yes. And, like, some of the best perch spots I've had, you can look right at that and say, oh, yeah, it was set up right on that weed edge where I can see it kind of gets a little deeper on the edge of those weeds. And that's that's what those perch relate to. Awesome. So, so, so now that we have a spot picked out where you're going to fish for perch, What's your go-to starting to catch them? What, what lures you using, bait, presentation? Yeah, so does uh, is this podcast going to have video? Because I've got my – I got some of my, my tackle here. I was going to show you, but I can, just, I can just explain it. That's fine. So yeah. um, I usually like to have a couple rods set up, and when I'm starting out especially, I like to fish a lot of spoons for perch, little uh, – little, Tingler spoons, gold cast masters, stuff like that with a minnow head. Uh, it's a slightly bigger presentation, but when I'm trying to really locate them and figure out if they're here as I'm hole hopping, I, I like to fish something with a little more flash uh, just to get their attention more. Um, it, it'll pull them in from a farther distance away. You drop a tiny little tungsten jig, which don't get me wrong, those work great, but if you drop that down to start and there's perch that are 10 feet away, that might not necessarily get their attention to bring them to you right away. So I like to fish a more aggressive spoon to begin with, um, with a minnow head to at least call some fish in. If it's, if it's, a, if they're fired up, I'll oftentimes just catch them on that and stick with that. But what sometimes will happen if it's a finic, more finicky bite, they'll, they'll come in, I'll get marks on that spoon and they're not quite um, reacting to it. And that's where I have another rod tied up right away. Uh, with a tungsten jig, maybe have a plastic on that or a, just the old school wax worm, and I could quick drop that down. And that, a lot of times that convinces those more finicky fish to uh, to to commit with that smaller presentation. Yeah, and I think it's real important with any species of fish to have a variety of things. Like you're saying, you need smaller smaller baits for finesse situations, just like you would in open water. Yep. And then the brighter then it, brighter larger profile baits to maybe get their attention. If, it, if the water is real murky or just there's a lot of cover, 
those bigger baits give off my, more vibration and more flash. Absolutely. And a, a big forage, part of the forage for these perch is small bluegill fry. I mean, they're not, they're, they're aggressive feeders. I've got a picture from, a, I was cleaning some perch just, uh, just the other week. And this, this thing had a full on shad in its stomach, like a three inch shad that a perch had eaten. So it just, it just showed you, it's like these, these fish are going to be opportunistic feeders and they're not going to be afraid to eat a, a bigger, bigger bait. Like for you, just for you guys to see, you can, you yeah. can get an idea. That's a, I mean, that's a big, that's a big river shad that is they're eating. So sure. And I've had, I've had seven, eight, nine inch perch come and take a medium shiner that I was wall or walleye True. or pike fishing with, you know, True. wondering why that tip up keeps going off. And all of a sudden the third time the flag goes up and it's a little heavier when I pull it up off the bottom and a perch has got, you know, a number one treble number jammed one. in its mouth with half of that minnow down its throat. How it did it, yeah. I don't know. But they're very, they're very voracious feeders. And speaking of tip-ups, an, another thing along with set, uh, jigging for perch and even crappie is I use what's called an Arctic Warrior tip-up. I don't know if you've ever – they're not very common, but it's probably one of my favorite ways to do set lines for perch. Obviously, you guys have heard of tip downs. Yes, mm-hmm. and tip, tip down fishing is you know becoming more and more popular, and and I like using tip downs too. But these Arctic Warrior tip ups are a form of a form of a tip down, but it uses an actual rod and reel, and when it triggers it, the flag goes off and your spool is open, so that fish can free spool with your line. You see the flags up, you go get to that and catch them on rod and reel. It's a lot of fun. And it's, it's a very effective way to fish like a rosy red minnow or a crappie minnow under the ice there as a set line. And the Wisconsin side, you can have three lines set. Um, and if you're fishing on the Minnesota side of the river, you're only allowed two. So that's a unique little regulation there. But that's one of those things about just capitalizing how many lines you can have set. Once you get in an area where you know there's a couple fish around, get those set lines up, whether it be tip downs or, like I said, those Arctic warriors and and that helps put a lot of fish on the ice. That's interesting. I use something I've never heard of that before. We use um, First Strike, which you set okay. up any jig rod on. It's got a little metal holder. It's a free spool, and you run the line through this little contraption. And second it pulls, flag pops up, and a light goes on on your rod. And same thing. Oh. It's a free spool. It runs. Primarily use them for walleye, but I do catch a lot of perch and crappie on them, too. Yeah. So That's it sounds awesome. pretty sounds pretty similar to what you're running there. There's probably a lot of different versions of it. I've heard of like finicky foolers and I mean even even the iFish pros are somewhat similar to that. Um, I have a I have a video where I show how to use those Arctic Warriors, but and it's it's fun too. I've set the Arctic Warriors up for pike instead of the old instead of a tip up. There's just something about setting the hook on a big pike on a rod and reel. I would agree. Um, it, yeah. It's it's uh it's just that extra fight and and then you have the drag to assist you too. It's almost more effective also. The uh the last time I was out perch fishing it was we're catching a bunch of perch and I had rosy red minnows and I had a rod set up for perch with four pound floral and I set flag goes up, go over, set the hook, it's like, uh oh, this is not a perch and <laughs> Sure Bonus enough, it was fish. Like a Thirty-two inch pike, four four pound floral and a tiny little treble hook somehow just 
somehow did not break the line. I was able to land that fish, which was, which was pretty cool. Floral is awesome. Floral was very helpful. I mean, it holds up to abrasion a bit better than standard monofilament does. And I, I don't yeah. think it gets enough credit with guys that are just starting. They, they don't really know what it is and it's really a helpful tool. Yeah. And they say, they say, I mean, I'm not a fish to, to, to be to tell you if this is true or not, but apparently it's more invisible in the water from I, like mono, right? Yeah. There's less glare through it. Cause it, I don't know okay. something the way, the way it absorbs light or absorbs, you know, the, the natural light and it's, it's, it's environment. It, it doesn't reflect as much. Yep. Yeah. So a lot when, of times I'll do floral leaders, uh, like to braid but I don't like to put all floral on a spool. There's no. something about if you spool it with full floral, you're, for those of you listening to this, don't try that because yeah, it just doesn't, it, it twists and gets all sorts of messy. So really just use it as leaders. It's it it really holds a lot of memory. It's yeah. not meant for that. I mean, there are some, you know, when you're talking open water spinning gear, there's some guys that will run it. I've run it certain certain brands and some of it works fine. But on a bait caster, it, it's okay for trolling, but it's really not the best for casting. It's kind of tough okay. to cast. But I'm I'm with you there. You know, the braid braid with a a three to four foot liter of whatever size uh, fluorocarbon is really the way to go when it comes to trying to fool fish and give yourself a little bit more of an edge for abrasion resistance as well as invisibility. Yeah. And since you brought it up, that was actually my next question is, do you run braid as a main line and then have leaders you tie on? Or do you run, you know, ice line? What do you run? It it depends the, the setup. Um, it depends where I'm fishing, I should say. So if I'm fishing a strictly like backwater and it's going to be shallower water, there's no need for braid um, in, in that shallow water. So in that case, it's probably just a four-pound mono Um you could go down to two pound, but trust me, some of those four, I mean, I caught a 14 inch perch the other week, those 14, 15 inch perch, they, they fight like they fight. Like I would be scared on two pound tests. You got to just play them differently. Um, so probably a four pound mono in that case, if I'm fishing like the, there's times when it really ices up that I'll fish the main channel of the river, um, of the Mississippi. And that's more so for, walleye sauger but also the perch relate to that main current also and in those situations you got to use something a little bit heavier it's usually a little bit deeper so if you're fishing 20 feet deep and there's some current and you use mono your the, the line stretch it's you're just not going to have the same feel so in that case then i do like to use braided line uh just to be able to have a better feel um jig contact as i'm as i'm fishing in that current so I would say it's, I'd say based on the situation. The other nice thing about mono though, is if it's really cold and you're hole hopping around out of a shack, it sheds water a lot easier. If you are fishing braided line and it's, you know, five degrees and you're hole hopping every single time you reel that up, that lot, that ice is just going to stick to that braided line and it gets a lot trickier as you go on throughout the day. So that, that would be an advantage of mono that I would say. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, I guess um, my other question for you: Do you catch incidentally or target crappies when you're fishing these shallow backwaters? Is it more um, predominantly perch? 
Definitely. So if you want to target more crappies and bluegill, I would say you want to find deeper water on the Mississippi. Um, those perch tend to be a very shallow water fish kind of mixed in with those weeds. You can catch some incidental bluegill and, and crappies, but if you want crappies, I would, I always say look for deeper bays, um, deeper water in those backwaters. Um, maybe there's a downed tree or some structure down there and the crappies tend to relate to that as, as the crappies probably do all throughout the Midwest even on northern Wisconsin lakes, right there, there's they want to find that basin uh, and that deeper water. They send, tend to suspend more, um, so it it varies. It varies a lot. Like there's there's times where I'll fish. There's certain bites. Like I fish Lake on Alaska. I mean that's a spot that's not a secret by any means. Um, and Lake on Alaska is is a spot where you can catch all three panfish species in the same spot. And you'll be fishing there, and there's there's kind of bluegill that are kind of closer to the bottom, right, and up, up about two feet off the bottom. The perch, they tend to come racing off the bottom. But then as you're jigging there in the bottom, let's say I'm fishing 12 feet of water, all of a sudden, uh, five feet five feet off the bottom, you're jigging on the bottom, and above your jig, here comes a suspended mark. You reel up to that, 90% of the time, that's going to be a crappie swimming through because they're suspended. So they definitely can all be all be mixed in depending the fish the area you're fishing and the depth you're fishing. Do you find that the crappies key in more on minnow type baits, or are you still doing good with the same stuff that you would be fishing bluegills with, you know, with a maggot or a waxy? Yeah, for crappies, I tend to do best on finesse, like um, just a tungsten jig and and a waxworm or a small or a white plastic. Lighter colors for crappies tend to do the best, uh, just I think because they're maybe it resembles more of like a small minnow. But I I tend to I tend to use more catch most crappies on tungsten jigs. Granted, maybe that's part of because I'm fishing a tungsten jig. Because if a, if a nice bluegill's down there, I want to be able to capitalize on that bluegill also. Whereas if I go to a spoon with a bigger spoon with a minnow head. Now I kind of eliminate my chance to catch all three species because a bluegill is very unlikely to to hit that. Sure. Do you find um, plastics outproduce a waxworm or a a, a you know, <laughs> I do, I don't I have not experienced a plastic that I have more confidence in than an old old school waxworm or spike. Uh, I did just get this year though. Uh, liquid willow cat and and they they sent me these uh beaver tail plastics and have you matt you tra- you've trapped a little bit right no i have haven't before <laughs> so so something that's intriguing to me is you there there's something with a beaver's tail like literally like the fatty part of a beaver tail yep that if yep. you cut that into sections you can ice you can put that onto a jig and ice fish with it and there's something about the scent that is incredible. Well, so there's there's beaver casters, so they have a gland below their tail yeah. that has a, a very aromatic scent to it. So I wonder if they're using some of that, you know, I to wonder try if and, that's what it is. To try and scent So these it. plastics that these plastics that I got apparently have like infused um like beaver tail scent in them. Uh 
And I'm pretty optimistic to try these because I do think they just have a really nice action to them and that they'll be able to catch some fish. Plastics definitely work better for me for crappie and perch. Um, but for bluegill, maybe it's just the smaller mouth. I think they still really like to key in on those spikes or waxworms. I can agree to that because I've my bigger crappies that I've caught have always been off of just a plastic. I, I, I can get them to bite, you know, a live bait once in a while. And it's usually a minnow is where I had my best success for crappies through the ice. Yep. But in perch alike too, perch will always hit a minnow. If you put it right in their face, they'll, they'll gladly sure. take it. Um, but <laughs> for, if, if I don't have minnows with, a you know, a, a small piece of plastic, I don't know why, but red seems to work really good for crappies and stained water. I've tried okay. it in clear water and haven't had luck. I think white is better in clear water. White's good all the way around, but sure. I don't know. I got one lake out here where we used to have some really nice crappies in there. And we're talking 14-inch crappies, real big ones. That's, that's special. Yeah, it is. Well, it was special until Lake Link took over, and it was it was all done. That's a topic for another another podcast. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. And as someone who the, the social media can definitely uh, – destroy some some spots uh and as someone who has a youtube fishing channel i'm i'm very conscious of that like (laughs) you you will i've had some incredible bites that i don't make videos or maybe i take some footage and i look back at it and it's like it's like oh i that's a pretty distinguished background there Uh i'm not gonna post (laughs) just just out of respect for well, myself too. I don't want that spot to be completely blown up. So no, but there's something to be said about still pictures too. Like you can frame it right. You can get the pictures of the big pile of fish, and maybe get you know a little bit of footage, so to speak, of your presentation and how you're doing it. But you know, selectively posting certain things. Oh yeah, hundred hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, my wife comes fishing with me a lot, and her I'll catch a fish and like. I'm like holding up for a picture and she's like taking me. I'm like, Whoa, hold up. Like, go this way or hold the camera up high. So there's no background. And I'm like staring up at her. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's all part of uh, it's all part of it. You bet. Hey, back to soft plastics. I got them. Yeah. Too, I got them too late last year and it could have been a trendy thing that I saw and I had to buy, you know, lures catch fishermen just as much as they catch fish more so um, than they catch fish. More so. so I had, um, <laughs> I've always heard the old school take a perch eye, use a perch eye for fishing for perch. They make, I bought a pack of like glow up, you know, UV lit, uh, glow in the dark fish eyes, soft plastics. Interesting. And I have yet to try them. Small company. I want to say out West somewhere, uh, one of the Dakotas or something like that. I had, like I said, I got them too late. I didn't go out ice fishing afterwards. Have you heard anything about that or? Um, they, I don't know if I've, I'm looking for if I have one with me. I have never heard of a soft plastic perch eye, but what will relate a little bit, I've had some great luck on this jig right here. It's it's actually, I forget who makes it. I think it's Northland Tackle, and it's an eyeball spoon. And Yes, that and, is, uh, I think that's a Northland bait. North, Northland, yeah, Northland Tackle eyeball spoon, I believe they're called. And I, maybe there's something to it, because I've had some incredible bites on these these spoons right here. With, and I, and then I tipped them with a minnow head, but yeah, maybe some it was scent. something with that that eyeball. Just because I've I've gotten desperate where I've ran out of bait before, and I've 
rip the eyeball out of the perch and use that. And, and, and I've caught fish on it. And I've always heard that from like the old school guys we fish with, you know, 60, 70 year old guys. Oh, you don't need wax worms. Just catch one of them and take their eyes. They last forever. You can catch five, six, seven, eight more perch on. They do. Eyeballs hold up yeah. on a hook really well. It's hard to, when you, because it, sometimes it's hard to get them on the hook. Like you put the hook in initially and sometimes they pull off perfect, but sometimes you like rip through it and it doesn't always work well. Yeah. I think you got to get it through that back membrane. Okay, it's if you, just tougher. Yeah, where it's a bit tougher. And then they'll tougher. hold on really okay. well. If you just hook it right through the middle of the eye, I mean, it, it sure. serves the purpose. The, the the scent is there and, and the look of it is there, but it doesn't last very that long because the fish will pick at it. But if you yeah, that makes sense. if you get it through the back, uh, that that back membrane where it connects to the inside of the socket, that is much tougher material. Okay. Yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. So I'll have to, One other I'll thing, have to with, go ahead, go ahead. Well, with those, you'll have to send me a picture of those uh, eyeball ones and give those a try this year. Another yeah. thing with the plastics too, like whether you're fishing plastics or live bait, I've heard people talk about this and I think it holds some truth. If you're fishing a soft plastic instead of a wax worm, I think it's much more important to keep that bait moving. Like if you're fishing a wax worm and a, you're marking a fish and it comes up to it, you can get away with, like, as soon as it gets in there, stopping that bait and almost dead sticking it, and they'll slurp up a wax worm. But I found out with plastics, when they start coming up to it, if you're going to go with that same approach and stop it, it's they're, they're not as likely to just slurp that up. You almost want to keep playing that game of cat and mouse, and as they're coming up to it, almost, like, reel up to really trigger that chase mode, like, oh, this thing's getting away. I have to go attack it. Yep, reaction um, bite versus I, a feed bite. I've, I found that to be true if you are using plastics opposed to live bait. It makes perfect sense. Certainly. Especially, yeah. the, I mean, the wax worm is going to be moving a little bit too. You can't, I've never saw a soft plastic that mimics the movement of a wax. You're just floating in the water. You know, it's just, they move naturally. That's a good point. And with that said, uh, wax worms, I always used to like thread them on the hook. Um, rarely, now I'll just like, just put the hook through the very tip part of the wax worm. So it's like just dangling on there. Granted, you, you go through a lot more wax worms because it's obviously. They come pick them right not, off. Yeah, they can pick them off more, but it creates, like Matt was saying, it's just like floating there and it really has that, that really good action on it when it's just barely on there. I also noticed too, whenever I put wax worms on like a spoon, a spoon treble, I do yep. one or two, like you just said, dangling down, and I always do one oh. vertical. Okay. It's almost weird. So like, all, yeah, they don't want uh, – All three trebles? Yep. So it would be one or two trebles with them hanging down and then connect two with one wax from long ways. For some reason, I've had them not quite on those, like the dangling ones, and they want more of a stationary one. Ah, it's, you can't ever yeah. get in the fish's head, but – Mix it up a bit. You go through a lot sense. more wax worms that way. Too. Oh yeah, <laughs> true. Well, we're uh, we're kind of getting to the end here. Um, do some shameless plugging for yourself. Where can people find you? Where uh, where do we see all your information and all all your content that you put out? Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I guess I, the whole YouTube channel thing started as just a. I got a GoPro for Christmas one year and my dad and I did some trips up to Quetico. 
uh, up in Canada. And I just, just capturing a lot of the, the memories there and ran out of space on my, on my hard drive of my computer. So I was like, well, I guess I'll upload them to YouTube. And then next thing you know, they got a lot of traffic and I kind of enjoy sharing my outdoor adventures there for really everything, open water, um, a lot of ice fishing though, but even, even hunting, like the, the bow buck I got this year, I got the, the shot on video and that was, that was a pretty special, special deer that I got. Um, so that YouTube channel is Jackson Baumgart Outdoors. Um, and then you mentioned earlier, I have kind of a little, I don't want to call it a company, but it's just a little hobby where I make my own spinners. I know I sent Matt some in exchange for, a one of his awesome turkey calls, which, which I love. I'm excited for turkey season. I, I've fallen more and more in love with turkeys every year. But anyways, that Driftless Spins, it just has an Instagram account and email, driftlessspins at gmail.com. Um, if you're listening and you're a trout fisherman and you like throwing spinners, I, I really enjoy making a lot of spinners. I actually made a bunch with turkey marabou now, which oh, works really? cool. it's awesome. That, that turkey marabou those feathers on the back of that treble almost resemble like a leech in the water. And I've had a lot of luck with those and it's just something unique to, to fish with a Turkey marabou spinner. So cool. yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Just enjoy, uh, documenting the memories and sometimes I'll even go back and watch, watch them. Cause it's like, Oh, that was such a fun, that was such a fun perch bite. I was on, you know, last winter. Let me watch that again. So yeah, like I said, I don't give, I don't give a ton of like. You're not going to probably go there and get my GPS coordinates by watching my videos, but you'll probably learn learn some things and reach out to me if you have any questions about. Happy to help other people like figure some things out too to experience a good bite. Great. Well, and that's what it's all about, you know. As as fishermen hunters, we like to share what we're doing and how we're doing it, and uh, hopefully, it does help somebody out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the positives of social media, like like connecting with Matt through through Instagram, and um, I'd much rather be out in the turkey woods using a a call that he he made and has something kind of special to it, opposed to one that I get on Amazon. And I'm sure he'd say the same about waiting in a trout stream catching a fish on that, opposed to you know just a classic panther martin or something. So Absolutely. or a couple or a couple cool. muskies. Yeah, I caught a couple muskies. Yeah, that's the ones true. Yep. That's true. You you inspired me to make a musky spinner. That was pretty sweet. I think it was twenty casts, and I had the first fish on, so it that's, worked good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've made a, I've made a few of those same ones that for when I uh, go fish some musky rivers too, because that double bladed orange looks nice. Oh, speaking of ice fishing and making spinners, I wouldn't call it a spinner, but um, a bait shop reached out to me about a a certain type of tip down hook. And, uh, I've started, I've made those and I tested them out two weeks ago for the first time and they were incredible. It was, it's just an Aberdeen hook, but I have like a flipper with some beads on it and, and then the rosy red on that. And, and he, he sent me pictures pretty much like, can you make something like this? Cause he said that he can't find them anymore. And, uh, I started make I just made a few of those and tested them out and they were putting some really big perch topside. And I had a treble hook just a bare treble hook with a rosy red minnow. And that was not getting the same action. So I don't know if there was something to that, but I was pretty excited to, to expand that 
I, so I can make, I can make those for people too. Not sure if I actually want to, I'm not sure if I want to actually like supply his bait shop because he's like, Oh, they'll fly off the shelves if you can get me them. But I'm a, I coach basketball. I obviously working a married man. So and I, I got, I don't know if I want to spend my Saturdays making ice fishing lures or going out and using ice fishing lures. So that's, <laughs> that's the balance right now. That yeah. I'm that is a tough balance. <laughs> so I got one more quick thing before we end up here. Yeah. You got a, you got a funny fishing tale. You can tell us, you know, comical, you know, oh, man. anything like that. Guy, I got a few, but as I'm standing, I'm, as I'm sitting here right now, looking out the window of the house I grew up in on this lake, I don't, I'll tell one that's, I mean, kind of unique, but also pretty sentimental. Just as I sit here day after Christmas and think about the memories I formed here, uh, I was this small lake. It's, I don't even know. This is like a couple acre lake. There's like three other cottages on it small little lake right um and there was a year when i was in seventh grade and i remember seeing this giant pike like this fish rose from the depths on open water and and was like staring at me i swear it was a massive fish i'm like oh my gosh so i actually like targeted this fish i'm like there's a giant pike in here i want to catch it um so my dad and i went out one day after school and I'm throwing like, I don't know, big old like perch crankbait and I get hit on it and it's a, it's a bass. It's like a 16 inch bass and this bass jumps out of the water and lands back in the water. And I'm like, Oh, this is a bass. And all of a sudden it's like really heavy. I'm like, okay. And sure enough that, that pike and that bass jumped out of the water. It must've triggered it. And this pike latched onto the bass. Didn't even get a hook. It T-boned this bass, like a, like a 16 inch bass and had that thing T-boned. And we eased it up, just eased it up and no net in the boat or anything. We're out there in our little rowboat and it gets close up to the boat. And my dad just grabs it and lifts it into the water. And there was a 40, 42 inch pike on this tiny little lake that I grew up on. That's a nice that pike was, anywhere. <laughs> that was pretty awesome to experience that. I ended up getting that fish. That's the first fish I've ever gotten mounted. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then that I talked about how I have like pet. I used to have like bass that knew me in this lake. <laughs> I ended up letting that bass go. And then like two years later, catch this bass that's all scarred up. It's like, that's the same bass. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's awesome. So, yes, yeah, as cool. you guys know, a lot of anytime you're outdoors, you're just bound to make memories, and that's that's part of what I love about the sport. You bet. Well, I think that's a great way to end this is on a high note. You couldn't have said it any better. So thanks for tuning in.